0: Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. As promised, a Roland Garros check-in. It is Friday. We always need to time these things. Rafa Nadal is on his way to another straight set win. As we speak, Stan Wawrinka has just been eliminated by Gaston, the French wildcard who is ranked outside the top 200. It's been a crazy day. It's been a crazy tournament. It's cold. It's wet. It's rainy. COVID, alas, is spiking, and yet we have major tennis. So, uh, I figured we would just sort of catch up and talk some themes from halfway through the 2020 French Open. Jamie Lasanti back in what is surely a more climatic and, uh, I hope, uh a little, a little healthier covid wise united states how are you jamie
1: doing all right how are you uh, more importantly as you said cold rainy gloomy give us uh beyond the oh. beyond the weather report how is it how's it faring over there in paris
0: exactly you, you kind of nailed it which is uh in some ways it's a little grim and in other ways I don't know it's a major tennis tournament, and right now I'm watching Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic and Dominic Thiem and Simona Hala play brilliantly today, and it's really this dissonance where um, people are wearing masks, there are not a lot of fans, there are fears that the trends in Paris are not going in the right direction. By Monday there might be some sort of a restaurant ban, and yet against that backdrop we still have have glorious major tennis. Um, It's not been a great tournament in terms of weather right now it's very cold i'm pacing to keep warm i think people forget too paris is the the same longitude as newfoundland so it's been getting dark quite early here much different than what we're accustomed to in june when oftentimes the sessions can go till nine o'clock one of the godsends here is that this is the first year of the roof so because of the darkness and uh, the rain we're still able to despite that we're still able to uh get in four or five matches on the main court every day. But it's, um yeah, it's it's been weird. I mean, it's sort of been this this mix of uh, ap- apocalypse and then glorious major tennis with uh, the, the best players in the world playing at a, at a high level. We've had some five-setters. We've had great matches. We've had upsets. We've had a lot of upsets, in fact. 19-seeded players on the women's side out by the third round. And at the same time, there haven't really been titanic upsets. Um, Simona Holop has looked great. Nadal, Djokovic, Dominic team, they've been COVID tested, but not particularly tested on the court. So, um, yeah, it's been uh, a major like no other. And uh, at, at the halfway point, I would say, you know, it's um, the, the COVID test. Most importantly, we have not had uh, players testing positive, which I think was sort of the, the, the ultimate barometer you have some complaints about the schedule, but you have those during the best of times. We haven't had great weather, but certainly not the first major where that's occurred. And I suspect a week from now, we will crown a men's and women's champion, and people will decide, much like with the U.S. Open, that on balance, uh, it, it was good that this persisted in spite of these adverse conditions. How's that for uh, a, mushy, a mushy answer mushy both sides, as I'm Jamie? <laughs> No, it's
1: a, it's a good scene setter. And, and you mentioned the U.S. Open, and that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you about because um, I have been comparing and contrasting the two tournaments, of course. Obviously, it happened so quickly, one after the other. But for me, um, I feel like the U.S. Open had a different feel. And I think as you talk about the weather and the difference in uh, the sun's going down and the darkness and how it's sort of gloomy and cold and, and very different conditions and. We're used to um, at the French Open. I, I'm curious how you compare the overall just feeling and environment from one major to the other. Obviously, you weren't at the U.S. Open, um, so it's a little bit more difficult. But um, do you think that the the fact that the the U.S. Open was sort of on schedule with when we're used to it has, um, in comparison to now, the French Open being at this weird time in September, do you feel like it has taken a little bit of the air out of out of the major? Because I think on On my side, from my perspective, I I do feel like um, there's a little bit of a strange, uh, I keep saying the word gloomy, but um, just lackluster a a little bit in some ways uh, in this tournament compared to the US Open. But what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, I I think that's a really good point, that the US Open had no fans, and we had this bubble protocol. And it was strange, but it was still held at the appointed dates. this is a strange tournament because, you know, it's it's October. We've never had major tennis in October before. We're talking about clay. So the clay of October is much different from the clay of late May and, and early June. Again, the, we have this darkness factor. We have this, this great roof, but it's the first year of the roof. And I think the other thing that people forget is that Roland Garros is really in Paris. It's right in the Bois de Boulogne. It is, you know, it's two miles from my hotel. It's about, you know, maybe... It took me 11 minutes to get here, and I'm staying in in the Trocadero neighborhood right in the middle of everything. That's a lot different from being out in Queens, out of Manhattan. A lot different for the players going to, you know, a Marriott in the suburbs versus going to their hotels, which are are kind of sort of locked down, but this is clearly a, a bubble that's been permeated. It's just a much different context than the U.S. Open. And I think the other thing is that There was no way to know this in advance when people were, you know, deciding to go forward with these events, and in the case of the French Open, seizing other dates on the calendar. But when the U.S. Open occurred, the COVID rates in New York City were trending in the right direction. They were going down. Uh, You know, New York City was quite safe, and um, it's the opposite here. I mean, apart from everything else and all the other challenges and the weather and the darkness it's getting a little scary in terms of the second wave. And we're supposed to have uh, an announcement by government ministers and maybe even Prime Minister Macron essentially saying that we're going to have to ramp up some of these protocols, that bars and restaurants may be closing. Um, the you know There were 14,000 cases in France. So a- apart from everything else on the strange time of year and the, the strange surface, um, I think there's there's an element of, of concern here, and one of the sort of behind-the-scenes stories is what's going to happen to the rest of the year. Is this it for tennis in, in 2020, you know, in the year 2020? And there are other events on the calendar, but they're indoor events. You can hear the applause for Nadal behind me. They're indoor events, and if you can't have people going into restaurants, I'm not sure you can have indoor tennis events right so there there's a lot of uncertainty here and at the same time you know it's it's funny because you see nadal on the court and you know taylor fritz just played a, a tiebreaker that was more than half an hour and you sort of have these very normal and, and conventional conversations about tennis and who can string together back-to-back wins and what you need to do to beat simona holop who moves so well and then this, the next conversation you have 90 seconds later is sort of apocalyptic conversations about uh, COVID and shutting down businesses. So it's, um, I, again, di- dissonant is the word I keep coming back to because in some ways it seems very much like a major tournament with drama and upsets and ascending players and what's going on with so-and-so. Um, and so, then in other ways, it's sort of playing against this backdrop of balloon. Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was gonna say, so do you think that with those potential new protocols outside of tennis in, in Paris generally, um, you know, looming. Do you think that that's going to affect the um, protocols within Roland Garros? Are, are they going to uh, mid-tournament decide that fans are no longer allowed, or are you expecting any changes to, to the tennis itself, or do you think it will just be for restaurants and, and other things for for the public?
0: That's a it's a great question. I, I will let you keep it between us, but I'll let you in on a, on a deep dark secret, which is uh, you know the, the U.S. Open. Most of the revenue is generated by this ESPN contract which you know, is in all, all in, probably approaching $100 million. And it, it's all about TV. The French Open doesn't have that kind of a huge revenue stream from a single TV contract. They make a lot of their revenues by selling tickets and by hospitality. And sort of, there are always these jokes about the, the fans aren't in the seats because the lunch and the catering is so good. And um, The French Open went on in part because initially... They were expected to get, again, this this was coming right from their interactions with government. They were told they could get 11,500 fans a day, which is almost a 20, you know, it's almost a 75% drop from what it typically is. But, you know, 11,500 fans and there's catering and there's suites and there's hospitality, that's a lot of revenue. That number then dropped to 5,000 on the eve of the tournament, literally days before the tournament, it dropped to 1,000. I cannot imagine that, again, if bars and restaurants get shut down, they will be allowing 1,000 fans into a venue. And strangely enough, they, they seem to pack these fans together. I uh, posted a picture on Twitter of a match uh, that Caroline Garcia just played with Elisa Mertens. And they're easily a 1,000 fans, and they're not spaced out evenly. And I think that's going to change in week two, especially if we have this restaurant ban. Right. Um, there will be fewer players on the grounds. Again, knock, you know, knock wood. Um, for for all intents, there was sort of the, the Fernando Verdasco uh, controversy, but for all intents, there has not been a positive test among a player, which is great. Um, again, we have, uh, you know, at some level, you cover this as a conventional tennis tournament, and there are great storylines and there are stories that haven't really taken shape. And Serena pulled out. But I think for the players that remain, yeah, it's, it's gotta be a bit of a concern. I've talked to other players who are worried, even about sort of, what do I do about changing my flights? Am I going to be able to get out of here? If I come from France, which is suddenly a, a red country that they call it in the EU, am I going to be able to get back into my country? Is this going to be quarantine? So, um, I, I feel like the the French Open has done an admirable job. I feel like there's some bad luck. I feel like coming out of the U.S. Open where these bubbles were so secure, um, it, you know, it's it's probably an unfortunate look that there really isn't a bubble situation here. But again, it's, it's a moving target. And if you would, we'd had the same conversation, you know, today's October 2nd. If we'd had this August 2nd, we'd say, oh, man, the, the U.S. Open really needs to reconsider it. And uh, now... Sort of uh, circumstances have shifted.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so, a little a little transition for you. But uh, let's talk a little a little tennis. Um, I I know there's a lot of things in my mind that have stuck out. Of course, uh, as you mentioned, Serena Williams pulling out with the uh, Achilles injury. You've got Nadal rolling, Djokovic rolling. Team is still rolling. You know, despite coming off that that major high. Uh, you know, at the U.S. Open. You've got Ostapenko kind of re-cementing re, uh, herself here, uh, you know, in, in a place where she um, has succeeded before. Simona Halep um, get, gets a bit of revenge, you know, today. So what's, there's a lot going on. What's sort of stuck out to you? Who, who should we be watching that maybe we're, we're missing um, beyond the big storylines?
0: Um, I I mean, I think you nailed it in the sense that there's there's been a lot of upsets and a lot of sort of quirky results, and yet all three favorites on both sides. So obviously, Nadal, Djokovic, and team have looked great. Simona Halep's looked great. Brusa had a tough first, but she's looked strong. Savitalina. I I can't name one titanic, seismic upset. Um, I think there have been a number of storylines that haven't really materialized. So. You know, Coco Goff played I I thought just a terrific first match in horrible conditions. And she beats Joe Conta, you know, semifinalist last year, top ten seed, and Coco Goff in this sort of awful cold rain played the more composed match. And you say, wow, this, this is real. She showed me something. And then two days later, she comes back and loses to an Italian qualifier and her serves deserts her. And Victoria Azarenka, terrific US Open. She looked good on the clay. She came here as, uh, you know, she, she spoke about her confidence level. And you said, What's this is a real contender. And then she went out, you know, six two six two, very, very meekly to uh, Um Serena Williams looked pretty good. She played Christiane in the first round. The second set was 6-love. And then two days later, she pulls out with the Achilles injury. So I feel like there have been a number of storylines that sort of got, got a nice start. There's a Danish teenager who looked terrific beating Jen Brady. Uh, Clara Towson and she like body and, and mind couldn't quite keep pace. She had to qualify too. And she went out. So I feel like they've, there've been some sort of false starts in terms of storylines. I think the big ones now are just for, for all the upsets and all the soft spots in the draw. And there, there are going to be some matches in the second week played between two players that conventional fans have not heard about. But I think in the end, uh, you know, the, the cream tends to rise and, uh, when Nadal beats Djokovic or Djokovic beats Nadal, or team wins a second major, and when Simona Halep backs us up, uh, people are going to remember that and not sort of some of the soft rounds uh, and the, the quarterfinalists uh, that no one's heard of. So I think um, I, I think that's the way these tournaments always go to some extent, but here more than ever, we will remember the winners and uh, not some of the sort of strange detours uh, along the way. Right. Jamie, let's take a break from tennis chatter. How about a shout-out to our sponsor, the good folks at Wilson. Great to have a tennis-themed sponsor. And we have exciting news for fans of Beyond the Baseline and Pro Staff Rackets. Wilson has just released the latest, greatest Pro Staff. It's the V13. And here is an offer exclusively for our listeners. If you order this awesome new racket from Wilson.com, Beyond the baseline, listeners should use the code bag the bag, B-A-G-T-H-E-B-A-G, Bag the Bag. That's the code. And you get an exclusive gift with purchase. What is that gift with purchase? It is a red, white, and blue Wilson duffel. So visit Wilson.com backslash pro staff. Use the code bag the bag and get a bag with your racket purchase. Hurry up. Do this while supplies last. It's is a $50 value gift with purchase. Bag the bag at Wilson.com. And we thank Wilson for their tennis podcast sponsorship okay back to tennis chatter chatter about many players who use wilson rackets we should add
1: what can you tell us about serena's withdrawal so obviously this this is it for her after after pulling out of french open she's basically done for the year and you know it's it's weird for to hear her say or to hear people say oh well like i'm looking ahead to the australian open you know uh it's 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 weird given the as you say october and and rolling but For her, um, obviously she's still chasing uh, that number 24 and this injury apparently never fully healed. And so when I heard that she pulled out, um, you know, and and she wasn't hobbling anywhere, I thought it was actually a good sign that she's really taking into consideration a a full 2021 or at least, um, you know, really uh, trying to give it her all next year. But what what did you hear about her injury? I mean, how bad is it? Do you think that um, it's something that that she and, and, and you know her fans should be concerned about here, or is she um, is she just playing it really really safe during this time?
0: To me, the great mystery with Serena was why was she playing here? In the first, she wasn't place. able to stay in her home. You know, why was she here in the first place? Exactly, she was yeah. coming off this U.S. Open. She had this Achilles injury she's this is always going to be the surface that was going to give her the most trouble it certainly wasn't going to help that it was the kind of clay that you can't really hit through it's october it's rainy she's got to stay in a hotel i mean sort of every factor militated against her playing this event i thought it was a, a good sign and impressive and admirable that she basically said i want to win majors and i'm willing to endure um. Uh, some less than ideal circumstances. You know, she, she has a place here and she has to stay in a hotel. I mean, just everything was sort of like, I, I never would have predicted she would have played. Right. I thought it was admirable that she did. I thought she looked pretty good. I mean, I didn't see a limp. I talked to her uh, on the court right after the match and it's not as though she grimaced or limped or even looked down. I was looking, watching the tape. It wasn't even though she sort of, you know, looked down at her leg. Right. She yeah, won she the set six love. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the injury probably, I, I don't know how much of it is, this hurts me today versus there's no way in hell I'm winning six more matches and I'm here to win titles and not just give these things shots. So and when she sort of realized she wasn't going to be able to win six matches, it was, what am I doing here? And I think also she did not want to make this worse for Australia, which, yes, as you say, and I think, you know, you're right. It's uh It's more than 90 days away. But it's definitely going to happen. Serena definitely has a better chance of winning Australia than she does on Clay. Um, But, you know, I mean, I just, you know, it's one of these things where you you watch Serena for all these years, clear every bar and relentless success and people write her off and she comes back and you sort of, you you hate you. People have been burned so many times short changing her, but it, it will now be four years since she last won a major. Um, and you just sort of think if, uh, if this, this doesn't happen soon here, it ain't going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, big deal. Um, I always thought this was sort of an artificial benchmark, but it, it wasn't to her. And it was a motivation to her. And it was the equivalent of a rivalry to her. And if this is what motivated her, and if this is what gave her a reason to go to the court and keep her out here playing for a few more years, then then great. But I do feel like, uh, you know, the, the cliche of hourglass times you know the sand sifting through the hourglass I I can't imagine there are too many more chances uh especially for someone that um will turn 40 years old next year so yeah we'll see her in Australia I mean one thing really real quick about Australia that's interesting I saw one of the uh emails from Tennis Australia that went out to the players and essentially said you need to be here two weeks. I mean, Australia has something like 20 cases. It's very low. But the big fear is people will bring it in from overseas. So if you're coming from overseas, you need a two-week quarantine. Um, so does Serena bring her family? Do all players, Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer, do all these players go down December 15th or so to Australia and spend two weeks in quarantine? It's a, it's a nice, great country, nice time of year. The players were told that uh, they're not going to have to sit in their hotel room. They'll be able to practice. But uh, you know that's that's a that's a big request. I mean, right. So if she wants to play the Australian Open, uh, she'll be spending. I mean, she doesn't doesn't celebrate religious holidays, but she will be uh, you know spending Christmas time uh, in in another hemisphere. So it's a right. yet another twist in this strange time we're living in.
1: And and truth of the matter is that's not that far away. You know, I mean, we're obviously in October, and those are plans where once she gets back home and takes a breath from you know, the French Open and everything else, you've got to start thinking about that already. So that's why I think it's interesting that she, to your point, you know, I, I made the decision at this point after, after playing, you know, a little bit, but not fully, you know, it's, it's just a very interesting decision. And, you know, we hope that she's, she's healthy, but um, it's, it's going to be a, another not as quick but interesting transition to the All-Shine Open given the timing of it all.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because we always complain, I, I think rightfully players complain about the off-season being, so, uh, being so minimal in this sport, being negligible. And this year, it looks like it's going to be cut by two weeks. The flip side of that is who knows how many more events, if any, we have the rest of the year. But in a sport that already doesn't have much in the way of the off-season, players are now going to have to go to Australia in the middle of December, which, yeah, as you say, exactly. You, you think about... Uh, you know, you think about it in terms of time, this is barely two months from now. So um, it's, you know, again, it's strange times and workarounds and everyone's adjusting. I mean, I'll tell you, uh, story. I was told that um, the WTA was really trying to effort to put together some sort of a, a year end event, not the Shenzhen final. I mean, that's, is what it is. And it's in China and they have a sponsor. And it's not happening this year, but some sort of a a, a final event in Prague and that players were sticking around and they were even, you know, players weren't getting on planes because they were all waiting for this big announcement. And then last 72 hours, COVID rates in the Czech Republic have spiked. The Czech Republic has some version of a lockdown. I think sponsors are getting a little bit and promoters are getting a little bit uh, nervous about how are we going to pay all this prize money if we're not selling tickets or if they're reduced tickets. And now it looks like this indoor event in the Czech Republic, isn't happening. I mean, 72 hours ago you have players that didn't want to go home because they thought they were going to have some more playing opportunities and now those events seem to be dissolving. So everything is, everything's moving fast. Um, everyone is sort of scrambling. A lot of this is out of tennis's control. It's probably like this in, in a lot of, in, you know, it's obviously unique to tennis, but uh, it's just a really, really strange time overall. And uh, I think a lot of players are now resigned that they're done for the year and see you in Australia and if it means leaving Europe or leaving the United States on December 15th then so be it. Right.
1: Uh, the, the other question we talked about a little bit earlier today but uh, the the weather and everything of course is creating a weird mood but um, it has also impacted scheduling and just general how players are are um, you know performing and I think it's even seeing the players in long sleeves and pants and everything else was just sort of a, a weird sight for the French Open. But how has the, uh, the environment, the, the conditions impacted the player? I mean, you're there, you've, you've stepped foot on the clay itself. Um, how, how different is it really and, and how much has it, who has it impacted the most? You know, you have
0: these really dueling instincts in tennis, I find. This is going to be a long windup to a good question that you ask. But you have these two dueling instincts, right? One of them is that tennis players are resilient and adaptable and they change surfaces and they change countries, they change tactics in a match. And, you know, Billie Jean King's, you know, her, her two-word maxim, champions adjust," uh, is often quoted. And I think there's, there's real truth to that. And tennis players in some ways have great uh, sort of pliability. And in other ways, Tennis players are really creatures of habit, some more than others. I mean, you you look at N- Nadal as an obvious example with his various rituals. But, you know, like Alina Svitolina was almost brought to tears the other day when she was asked about the loss of her dog. And I thought she was talking about her pet. And then people explained it, it was uh, like a lucky child. It was like a toy dog. It was a, a talisman that she left in a hotel room. And here's here's a woman in her mid-20s. And she's deeply upset about talking about her lost toy dog. And I think the reason is there is there is ritual, there is superstition. Tennis players are creatures of habit. They like things to be just so. They like to know what they're wearing and when they're getting on a plane and they like their schedule. And I think it's this is, that was my long windup to say that uh, you know, <laughs> at, at some level, this is what tennis players do. And sometimes it rains and sometimes it doesn't. And you never know when your match is going to go on and you never know how long your match is going to be. And in other ways, yeah, it's really jarring to play on a surface that doesn't play the same way two days in a row or to get moved from indoors to playing under a roof. Or, yeah, I mean, it's been right now I'm freezing, as you could probably tell in my voice. And they look like they're alpine skiing. I mean, Victoria has a rank. took the court the other day. looked like she was going to her mogul's right. I mean, it's just, it's freezing cold. And then the next day it's, you know, 68 degrees and everybody's back playing in baseball caps and shorts. So I I think um, some players will adjust to this better than others. I think one thing we don't talk about enough is uh, how much of an advantage it is for players like Djokovic and Nadal and now Simona Halep to know they're going to play all their matches on the same court, which has a roof if it rains. And if you're, you know, third on, you're third on, you're not going to get shuffled. Right, and so the top players. I, I mean, it's, it's there's a bit of irony to it, but in some ways, that the top players have to do the least amount of adjusting. They're not the ones out here on uh, you know, course seven with the their their coach having an umbrella. You know, there, there've been matches where the coaches have had umbrellas and the play's gone on. Um, top players don't have to deal with that. So I think you know, there, there's a lot of adjusting that's being asked of these players, in all sorts of different ways. But the irony is that the players at the very top don't have to, uh, confront a lot of these variables.
1: Definitely. And so, uh, we talked at the beginning of the tournament, of course, but what, uh, what are your, are you sticking with predictions? Have you, uh, are you, are you picking any, uh, second week sleepers here? What, what's the outlook, uh, as we turn the corner on, on the first week at the French Open?
0: You know, it's, it's funny. We keep Picking sleepers and then uh, disappear. I mean, somebody. I think Courtney. I'll hold. uh, We we often quote Courtney when we, uh, you know, in in deep admiration. So we will know Courtney. I think it was facetious. But you think I'm calling it right now? Stan Barbraco wins this tournament. (laughs) Stan Barbraco just got knocked out by a player outside the top two hundred. Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, We we all. I love this. This Clara Towson was uh, so impressive beating Jen Brady. And I sort of was telling everyone, you got to watch her. This is a seventeen year old. Remember the name. And then. Uh, she lost in straight sets. So I, I make no bold predictions. I mean, Sitsipas look great, but, uh, you know, now that I say that, um, Lord knows what he has in store in his next match. Um, I, I think he sort of got to go with chalk here, and I would be very surprised. Um, I was thinking there's something, you know, another way in which tennis is a cruel sport. Simona Halep comes in. She's a favorite. She hasn't lost since the Australian Open. She won her match today against Anna Samova. 6061. She's lost 12 games in six sets. If she doesn't win, she will be so deeply disappointed and say, what, where did it all go wrong? I was playing so well. I was moving well. The conditions were to my liking. Mm-hmm. Other seeds were dropping out. The defending champion didn't show. The woman who beat me last year, I surrendered one game to her. If she somehow does not win this tournament, it's going to be like, what the hell happened? Everything had lined up so perfectly. Um, but I do, th- I do think Simona Halep is your woman's winner. And I think, I don't know. I mean, I think Djokovic is going to be really hard to beat on this surface. I think whether there's uh, a roof or not will have a huge impact if Nadal and, uh, and Djokovic play. Dominic's team has looked terrific as well. I-, I think I picked Rafa mostly by dint of respect for 12 titles. I'll I'll stick with it. I don't think there's going to be some fluky results. Um, I, I cannot imagine, you know, pick, pick a name. I'm just looking at the, you know, Sebastian Corda. I can't imagine Penko winning her second French Open. I, I think those are all nice stories. And it's great to see deep runs by unsuspecting players. But I think in the end, uh, I, I can't imagine a player outside the top 10 winning either draw.
1: I will uh, put a shout out to former podcast guest Yannick Sinner, uh, who's who's up now, uh, but making a, a little bit of a run here. So always good to see some former guests doing well at the majors.
0: Sipsapas Dominic team. I'm trying to think who uh, who never had jokes. Oh, yeah, we've got um, a lot yeah. of them. <laughs> Yannick Sinner though is um...
1: recent recent podcast guest.
0: Yannick Sinner, a recent podcast guest, who, as you will recall, uh, was like Joe Biden. He went on some lovely tangent about, you know, uh, <laughs> Sam- Sammy Sam- Sammy Soup Spoon, you know, had, um, spinning yarns like uh, like an old man. He He's a lovely kid and such a uh, sort of such a composed and unflustered. I mean, the, the comparisons he always draws are, are to Roger, and it's not necessarily his game. It's just sort of a, a kid who doesn't seem to have a care in the world, who's, you know, friendly with everyone it's really interesting how different players approach this sport differently and with him you, you can't really tell if he's winning or losing it would be unthinkable to see this kid you know smash a racket or call the chair umpire a moron um for other players it's, it's exactly the opposite and this sport can accommodate them all but uh no yannick sinner the um a, a rare teenage phenom looks like he's going into the fourth round now pretty easily doesn't it
1: yeah. Any other uh, reports from on the ground? Rumors, reports. We we love them both. So uh, anything else to add?
0: Rumors, reports. Let's see. No. I mean, I think the big the big story apart from the action is just what the hell is going to happen to the rest of the year and what's going to happen in 2021. And I think the big fight is going to be, you know, tournament directors and promoters saying, "Listen, I'll I'll put on your event. I'll I'll, I'll put on the tournament." But if if I'm not selling tickets, or I'm only selling a fraction of the tickets. You can't expect me to pay usual prize money, and that's something that will have to be negotiated. And then the other part to that is, are the top players going to play if uh, they're they're only going to make dimes on the dollar? The other thing I think is interesting is usually this is the time of year when players assess their coaching situation and uh, do I keep this thing going? Do I need a new coach? There's usually a, a fair amount of churn in terms of personnel, but a lot of those. You know, a lot of those marriages get made in the players' lounge. Well, that doesn't really happen here. And uh, there's a lot of uh, power points being made. I mean, th- there are there actually aren't a ton of players um, without coaches right now, though there are a few. And I, I don't – I mean, there are not a ton of coaches that are out of work. Uh, Thomas Hogstead, who split up with Joe Conta, quickly caught on with Ostapenko But – it is interesting that usually this is the time of year when players and coaches assess their relationship and sometimes move on. And that doesn't seem to be happening. Uh, it must be happening over Zoom because it's not happening in the players' lounge right now.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. It's one of the probably one of the many things that uh, we we don't realize, you know, watching from afar, but uh, someone who, you know, is on, on the grounds every day. And, and for players, of course, they they recognize it. So...
0: Strange year, strange times, but uh, I think tennis should be pleased that it uh, looks like we're going to hand out, you know, we're, we're going to hand out trophies at uh, three of the four majors. And the fourth one that had the good fortune of having pandemic insurance uh, was very generous and gave out some prize money anyway. So uh, another, another sector making uh, some adaptations to a very, very strange year.
1: That is definitely what this year is. We look forward to watching the rest of the tennis and and hearing from you again next week.
0: You got it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's check in next week and we can uh, see where we are. Hopefully, um, you know, we'll have fewer players and hopefully a lot fewer COVID cases.
1: Yes, hopefully. Thanks, John.
0: Thanks, Jamie. Thanks again for your expertise, your podcast sorcery. Thanks to everyone for listening. Again, uh, it is Friday evening. That's where we stand. Uh, hopefully this won't be too obsolete by the time you listen to it, but we will do another podcast from Rolling Garros 2020 again in a few days. Uh, thanks everyone. Thanks to our sponsor. Thanks everyone for listening and leave a review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts and have a good few days. Enjoy week two of 2020 Rolling Garros and mm-hmm.